0: lost deep in the pages of your Bible are the books that are unmentioned, unheard of, and unread. They are the forgotten books of the Bible. Welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I am Chris.
1: I am your All right, let's continue with Titus. Uh, Let's get into the Trinity. So, we're talking about Titus, we're talking about Cretans way too much. Yeah. Talking about Facebook way too much. (laughs) Why randomly are we talking about the Trinity? Why randomly? So, the letter of Titus does provide uh,
0: some support for Trinitarian arguments. So, three times in Titus, the Father, God, is referenced as Savior. So, you have 1 3, 2 10, and 3 4. And Savior is typically reserved for. Jesus in that term um, in two thirteen, the phrase is our great God and Savior Jesus Christ uh, shows co-equality between God and Jesus Christ so it's bringing them together Titus 3 4 through 7 further shows the equality using the phrase God our Savior and then 3 4 Jesus Christ our Savior and then 3 6 that they're uh, next to one another uh, then Paul also mentions the holy spirit whom god poured out richly on us and that's titus three five through six so in lieu of all this i thought uh, why
1: not touch on the trinity yeah and it's interesting there even in when you're saying like it provides some verses for arguments for trinity right and a lot of it is really applying savior Mm -hmm. to god and savior to jesus Mm -hmm. like that's the most of what i see in those and when looking at that, again, when I hear arguments, whether it's looking at, well, there's there's words in these books, or this uses concepts, it's like, okay, what are you actually saying? Yes, there might be applying Savior to both of these things, but is that actually reasonable enough to make an argument? Not even saying that, oh, you're trying to go against the Trinity. I'm just like, no, but just is what you're presenting actually proof of that. And when you go into the Old Testament, all throughout it, Yahweh is just referenced Mm-hmm. as savior mm-hmm. you know what i mean so to be calling god savior in new testament is like yes that's quite in line and then like okay but then we're also saying that jesus is savior like okay but does jesus being savior necessitate him being god right because when we're looking at trinity we're looking at you yeah, have father son holy spirit all or all of them are God, but none of them are each other. Mm-hmm. Basically Trinity, right? So when I'm looking at things, I always want to know, is the thing that you're saying necessitating that, that, like Jesus? in this case, Jesus is God. Okay, he is Savior, but is he God? I can say God is my Savior. I could get shipwrecked. Somebody comes and saves me from that shipwreck, certain death. I, I Whoever that is, my Savior, is that person God? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like... Obviously, with Jesus, you extrapolate it out because, well, he lived a sinless life and he was resurrected from the dead. And you bring those things in, it's like the salvation that he's bringing isn't a you got shipwrecked on a boat type of salvation. But it's like, OK, but still him fulfilling his role as Messiah, does him fulfilling his role as Messiah necessitate him being God? You get what I mean? Mm-hmm. So these are conversations that I've had for years with people Because for me, touching on the Trinity is one of those, it is to me a mystery of the Bible. I do not understand it. I can see proofs for it. I can see that also people provide a lot of things that they say are proofs, that it is probably a limitation of my thinking because I end up arguing with them saying, I don't understand how you're making that mean that. Not that I don't want it to be that. I am just limited as a person for a lot of the arguments that get made about Trinity. Mm. You know what I mean? For me, that's in there. I know that in this book, Titus 2.13 being one of the big ones, because you're saying of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. But even when you look at the translations for it, and you look at kind of how it can be worded. So if you look in the New International Version, which I know you use a lot, saying while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's not necessarily necessitating that you're calling Jesus Christ our great God and Savior. Mm -hmm. It's Jesus Christ is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. You get what I mean? Mm -hmm. So other translations kind of can try and put them in there and it seems a bit more like, oh no, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Like he's the one that's the great God and savior. So even that's where it gets tricky. Yeah. And it's not again where I'm trying to disprove or make people doubt it. It's just if if we're trying to make arguments for something, you want to be using something that's more solid or that you can even engage in an argument with. Because for that one, if someone's like, here's absolute proof. Look at Titus 2:13. I'm like, I don't know. It really looks like even if you get into textual criticism based on how things can get like phrased there, there's reasonable doubt that you're calling Jesus Christ God. Mm-hmm. He's definitely the revelation of the glory, but to call, like that that's equating God there. You get what I mean? Yeah. So I know that you're saying touch on it, and I'm saying when I try and touch on it, that's where I get into because it's like, for me, it's a very complicated and hard thing to understand. So I try and parse through the data in a way that makes sense, and I can find things that are maybe even more conceptual that makes sense than maybe certain verses. And I
0: think that's where I want to get into it because uh, touching on it, uh, so like you're sharing your decades of journey through mm-hmm. this concept, right? And and I'll even touch on uh, what you said really reminded me of something that Augustine said at, towards the
1: end of what his writings. Um, but I just say I'm so proud of you. You're over here reading Augustine and even referencing like in the end of his writings. End of his writings.
0: But uh, what I really, what I wanted to get into on this flip side of it was the Trinity throughout the Bible references and stuff like that, because uh, the journey to get to this understanding of doctrine is, it it is one of the more harder understandings. Uh, We've talked, we joked about it, like the egg and uh, water water and all those. Because you have the white, the yolk, and the shell. that people have tried to use Uh. to describe it, and um it it is a difficult thing but I just wanted to lay out I guess all the things that you had been thinking about for years and present it as like okay if we're going to talk about the trinity how could I explain this to someone who has
1: no idea what I'm talking about and in that I think that out of any of those types of illustrations oh man Josiah had sent me a good one that kind of used a different explanation but I don't know what that is so I'm just going to go on this one I think I still have it on
0: my text so I'll Add it okay. to the bottom of the show But notes. for me,
1: the image that makes most sense for clarifying, get rid of the egg, get rid of water being mm-hmm. gas and frozen and water and whatever, it's the one that looks like a Celtic-type looking thing as a circle in the middle and then like three other circles around it that are connected by lines. And right in the middle, you have God. And then on the top, you have Father. And then down to either side, you have Son and Holy Spirit. Now connecting Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to god there are lines right Mm -hmm. so you're saying father is god son is god holy spirit is god but then you have lines connecting god uh, sorry connecting father to son and you're saying is not so father is not son son is not holy spirit holy spirit is not father so that's the best like visual that you Mm -hmm. can get that's a really good visual explain really okay but how did you end up there type of thing but when you're trying to like that's what we're saying in the Trinity, you're saying that the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, the Father is God, but the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Father, because then you get into different heresies that have been disputed. And yeah, Trinity. But you're saying let's kind of look through the Bible let's and break it down as if I'm an eight year old, but probably this is way advanced than that. Uh,
0: so the Lexingham Bible Dictionary has it this way: the Trinity a as a description of God of the Christian scriptures revealed and understood as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, kind of your triangle thing, and a fundamental doctrine of Christian theology. So that's the Lexingham Bible Dictionary. But the word Trinity isn't found in the Bible at all. So no. even to like say like, oh, here's a clear understanding, we don't even have the word to mention. Look it up in the index, you yeah. can't. <laughs> Uh, however, the doctrine is based in several uh, areas uh, throughout the, Bi- the Bible. So there is the concept of there being only one God. That's in Deuteronomy 6.4, Isaiah 4 4.3.10. I'm going to ramble off a lot of verses. Write them down if you're listening. Look them up later. Uh, Isaiah 46.9, Romans 3.30, 1 Corinthians 8.4, and then uh, James 2.19. The one who is called, the, uh, the one who Jesus called, called father uh, so that's john 6 27 and then first corinthians 8 26 and then there's jesus as the incarnate son um, so that other section of it matthew 1 23 john 1 1 uh, romans 9 5 colossians 2 9 titus 2 13 through 14 and hebrews 1 through 3 and then there's the holy spirit uh, acts 5 through 4 28 Verse twenty five through twenty seven in the sec- second Corinthians three. I'm sure there could be exhaustive scriptures on this, but all of these uh, possess the necessary attributes of God. Uh, they the three are not identical. They interact with one another, and their identities are represented with respect to one another. A um, bunch of more verses I've got for that point, uh, and they act distinctively, but in concert with one another. So although they're acting distinctively, they're kind of doing things together Mm -hmm. in the same purpose. Uh, So then there's God as Father in the Old Testament. So God as Father was primarily used as God uh, and His relationship for His people uh, before Jesus came into the world. Uh, So the prophets used it, Jeremiah, Isaiah, uh, Hosea, they used that concept of God being the Father of Israel. In Exodus 4, 22-23, Um, you see that it depicts Israel as God's adopted children. So, Mm -hmm. again, they were talking about God as their father there. And the personal designation of God as father seems to be more developed in later literature. So we have Tobit, 13.4, And he has shown you in his greatness there, bringing him honor in the presence of everything that lives. But he is our Lord, he himself is our God, he himself is our Father, and he is... God forever and always. Sirach 23.1, uh, Lord, Father, and Master of my life, do not abandon me to their will and do not let me fall because of them. Sirach, again, 51.10, I called out to the Lord, the Father of my Master. Don't desert me in my times of distress when I'm helpless. And then Wisdom 14.2-3 uh, is an interesting one to me. It says, desire for profit led to the ship's planning, so the ship being Noah's Ark. Uh, and wisdom was the artisan who built it by your watchful guidance. Father uh, pilots the ship. You made a way in the sea, a sure path through strong waves. So, wisdom, and I'll get to this when I talk about Jesus in the Old Testament, is a reference to Jesus. Um, and then God, obviously, being the Father. So, even within that, uh, you could see that kind of connection there with that one. And then there's the Son in the Old Testament. And again, Jesus doesn't appear in the Old Testament, right? We don't see any real thing of that. However, he has uh, some divine personifications. There's the Word, and John brings that up in John one one right? Mm-hmm. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Uh, there was wisdom, and then there's the angel of the Lord, which is fascinating. Yeah. Uh, so the Word is an instrumental in the creative activity. Uh, so that's when God says things, like in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh the way I've read this and really understand it is that when God says it, it was Jesus who went out and did it. And then you see Psalms 33, 8 through 9 follows up with that. And then Judith, uh, so I'm taking a lot of these uh, other, what do we call them? Deuterocanonical.
1: Yeah, Deuterocanonical. I mean, a lot of them, you're looking at them as being second temple period. Because I feel like using those, they kind of help
0: shape what we're looking at. So it's Judith, 16.4 uh, says, May your creation serve you. You spoke and they came into being. You sent forth your spirit and it shaped them. There is no one who can resist your voice. So, again, just uh, that the word of God was Jesus in action in the Old Testament. Uh, wisdom 18.15 through 16 depicts the word as a warrior instrumental in the Exodus. So, uh, now we're going into the wisdom part of it uh, that all your powerful words have been had leaped down from heaven the royal throne like fierce warrior he entered the land that was marked for destruction he carried with him your unchanging declarations like a sharp sword he stood up and filled everything with death he reached the sky uh he reached the sky while still standing on the ground so again wisdom embodies creative and salvation attributes of god um, and that wisdom is located with God and fully accessible only to God. And then there's the angel of the Lord and we just see this throughout Genesis, Exodus, judges, second Samuel and Zechariah all referencing the angel of the Lord. Uh, the appearance of the uh, angel of the Lord was manifest the manifestation of Jesus before his incarnation and then so like you see that John 858 he says I was in existence before Abraham, and then Jude, and we didn't touch on this when we went through Jude, but in Jude one through five, it said uh, that Jude references that Jesus was part of the Exodus story, and he said, "I want to remind you, although you fully know it, that Jesus who saved all the uh, that Jesus who saved all the people out of the land of Egypt afterwards destroyed those who did not believe." So. It's a lot. How
1: uh, the spirit in the Old now Testament. Now I know why you want to talk about the Trinity because you just couldn't stand that you didn't touch on that when we went through Jude. I really, <laughs> yeah, like, that's, how can, that's the one thing. We're wrapping up the series. How can I get that Jude part in there? That's the one thing I wish we would have touched more on. And here we go. But that's the angel of the Lord, Jesus appearing as the angel of the Lord
0: in in that sense. Okay.
1: Are you, are you interruptible? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. So, in all of those, that's where looking at conceptually coming alongside. Mm hmm. And some of these concepts of angel of the Lord being Jesus, right? Some of these things have either been accepted or highly contested Mm -hmm. throughout Christian history. You have these concepts, something like the angel of the Lord. And when you look at the angel of the Lord, there and i'm doing this off the top of my head because i didn't know this is what you were saying that you wanted to touch on it and i don't feel like pausing to look it up so people can go and check it out but in certain situations you'll have the angel of the lord coming into the situation and then you still have god in heaven and you have yahweh talking to angel of the lord is angel of yahweh right it's a specific angel it's always the same angel of yahweh and you have yahweh talking to the angel of Yahweh, but then in the communication, all of a sudden you lose which one is which because the angel of Yahweh is speaking as Yahweh Mm -hmm. and is doing as Yahweh. Mm -hmm. And you can look at that and be like, okay, well, it's because he has that specific designation of basically this is the angel of the Lord, so follows through on everything. And there is like no distinction between them. And I think that sometimes the, the concept of like an angel, angel being a messenger, right? If you look at Angelus and you look at the different things of, um, forget the Hebrew word for it. But when you look at the designation of Jesus, like, I and the Father are one. I do nothing that's not coming from him, right? Any of my words, any of my deeds, any of my actions. So you can see that parallel with the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament to where when Jesus is talking, he's saying, it's not me it's the Father. Like it's, it's God talking. So you see that same thing happening with the angel of the Lord to where literally in the verse, you're reading it and you're like, wait, who's talking? I thought, how did Yahweh Mm -hmm. now?" it's this and that, you know? So when you're seeing those kinds of things being recorded in scripture, um, it starts to give credence to it. You look a little bit deeper into that concept. It's definitely tied in with the angel of the Lord, but it's called the two powers in heaven. And We talk a lot about Michael Heiser. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of resources from him that you can look into it. But two powers in heaven is basically you have Yahweh, who is spirit, who is always the invisible power. But then you have the power who is like in the realm, who we do interact with and whatever, who is Yahweh. But it's like, again, I don't want to fall into the modalism heresies and everything. So just follow with what I'm saying and you can correct it with your proper theology. Like you have, Spirit who we can't see who is above all, but then in the realms that we can understand, even in the heavenly realm, it's just like there is this second power who is also Yahweh, mm-hmm. who is more visible or tangible or interactable or whatever in a way, and I'm grossly oversimplifying. But these are the types of things where, again, as you're saying, like a decade of Trinitarian research, for me, I had to go to these levels because it wasn't just based on a verse by first it clicking to me. Mm-hmm. Like, well, no, he's the son of God because it says the son of God. Just like, okay, but does the son of God necessitate him being equal to God? Like, you know, I just always had that question of, like, you're telling me they are the same, make this make sense. And there are very smart people who have done a lot of making it make sense. Um, You brought up the word as well as being. And one of the things that I heard recently that just I would never picked up on, and it was coming from the Lord of Spirits. They were talking about the word, And I always, whenever I'd read the prophets, like the word of the Lord came to Nathan Mm -hmm. or to Jeremiah or whatever, I was like, oh yeah, it's like an auditory word or the thought of the message or whatever. Like the words came to me. Like I would use that language. Oh yeah, the words just came to me. But when you look at how it's actually written in the scriptures, the word coming has a personification Yeah. to where it's not just like Jesus is like the audible words that went out or were taken it's like it's a title for him but it's related in the word you know what I mean it's mm-hmm. taking that word but it's like no that's the title of this person of mm-hmm. Jesus so it's like the word coming to these prophets like it really when I did a bit of further studies like wow it really seems like Jesus showed up and was talking to Jeremiah and it's why you get John starting off with- exactly because that never made sense to me before right. and that like the make word sense. was God and it was like all right, but it's like, oh, no, that word that was coming, Mm -hmm. that word was God, Mm -hmm. and that word was personified. And it's like, oh, that makes so much more sense.
0: And this is why I'm walking through it this way of like Old Testament God, Old Testament Jesus, because uh, to see all three of them in there uh, then makes it understand when you get into the New Testament, all three of them being there and how they change and what the roles and the understanding is. So like with the spirit we have, it's a wind or breath, uh, the ruach, the ruach, uh, and that's the representation of the spirit. So the wind blowing in the garden, God's breath, uh, the spirit hovering over the surface of the waters is dead there. Uh, the spirit empowers leaders, judges, prophets. Um, the spirit rests within nations. The spirit empowers uh, Israel's Messiah. That's found in Isaiah. All those things. So like all these, this would allow for Jewish Christians to then accept Jesus's teaching when he then comes into relation with who the Father is, and who the Spirit is, because them having all of that, they would hear Jesus, and it wouldn't
1: sound like straight crazy. So again, some of the stuff, just going to, and maybe people will resonate with it, but we have all over the place, God is Spirit, and it's obvious that God mm-hmm. is Spirit. So we know that God is Spirit, but then you're going to tell me, no, no, no. So like Father is Spirit, but there's this other member of the Trinity, and that one's Spirit. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, "How come it's just not the same Spirit? How come it's not just the same God?" You're saying, "Well, it's the Holy Spirit." And it's like, "Well, yeah, Yahweh's Spirit is holy. That makes sense. <laughs> you know what I mean?" Mm-hmm. So even there, like, I get where people are like, "Why?" because Holy Spirit is mentioned in the Old Testament, but it's more of like the Spirit of God coming upon. Mm-hmm. as like, it makes sense. So like God is a spirit and his spirit is coming on them. And there's not so much the distinction of like, no, this is a person of the Trinity, right? Mm-hmm. So then in the New Testament, to even when you get into like, all right, well, now we're equating Jesus with being God. Then he's leaving. He's like, it's good. I'm going to send My the spirit. Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I was like, but now this is, like, new challenger has entered the arena. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, hold on. This is the same one of the Old Testament we were talking about. This is a new one that we're talking about. And I'm not meaning to confuse anybody. But if you were able to hear of the Trinity and it made perfect sense to you, God bless the person that taught it to you. And I'm glad that you're doing so well with it. But for me, it's been a struggle. And I think that if anybody else is having a struggle, like, I want to be able to say, it's okay. Your salvation is still okay. You can still understand so many different things about the Bible and have questions and not an understanding about how all of this works, and it's okay. I think that there have been periods, and again, looking at those times of heretics and different stuff, it's just like where people were taking hard stances. They're like, no, Jesus is not equal to God. And I get that there's whatever dangers with understanding theology and whatever correctly, but it's like, Bro, maybe you don't have to take that hard of a stance. Maybe you just take the stance of I'm pretty simple. I'm trying to follow Jesus. I want to be able to follow the instructions given in Titus to live that kind of a life. Don't make me pick a side on this thing. Like, I whatever he saved me, I'm good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm believing it. So, that's kind of, I don't know. I still struggle with the Trinity in case anybody couldn't tell.
0: In case no one's listening and uh, figuring that out. And I think when you get into the New Testament, like you were saying, there's so many places where the Trinity pops up in more of a concise three-together sentence. So you have uh, Jesus' last command to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that had lasting theological, liturgical impacts on the Church that we even see today, Uh, the Trinity is in Acts. You brought up the day of Pentecost, where Mm. uh, I read this, and I thought this was a really good way to understand it, uh, what was happening on the day of Pentecost. Both the Father and Son are instrumental in the outpouring at Pentecost, insofar as the Father sends the Spirit at the behest of the Son. So it was Jesus saying, and then the Spirit comes. And even in Acts 5, 3 through thirty. It says the, the God of our father raised Jesus Christ, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witness to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God had given to those who obey him. So you, you do see this change in the Holy Spirit's presence in the New Testament, what it has to offer. Um, and even the relationship between God and Jesus as father and son Uh, starts happening as that's presented so you don't really see like the word was the son in the old testament but you know like we talked about that the word was could be a physical being uh that was presented and there's a lot more new testament verses there but uh that i i'll probably throw up in show notes or something but even peter writes in first peter one two according to the foreknowledge of god the father and the sanctification of the spirit for the obedience of jesus christ and sprinkling of his blood may grace and peace be multiplied to you." So it is again, it's thought of again that the three work in one, that the three are kind of co-working together. The early church, the Didache, uh, recommended uh, baptizing to be performed in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Clement continues the tradition of the New Testament, writing distinguishing roles between the members of the Trinity without clarifying how the roles are connected with the essence uh, th- he wrote, uh, The majestic scepter of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, did not come with pomp and arrogance or pride, though he could have done so, but in humility, just as the Holy Spirit spoke concerning him. Justin Martyr was writing primarily on the meaning of Jesus as the Word and in defense of Christian theology, uh, expresses the Trinitarian nature of God with reference to worship at the church and the activities of God in creation, salvation, prophecy. Um, And then Irenaeus, uh, so he wrote in counter of teachings that were out there uh, relying upon the traditions handed down through the baptismal practices and scripture to demonstrate that Jesus is the Son of the Father. Irenaeus uh, reminds his readers that no one can fully comprehend the Trinity and that uh, there are limits to what can and cannot be said. And, I mean, there's so much. There's uh, origin uh, to... Tertullian uh, in there, but I wanted to get to the, I mean, we didn't even touch on the ecumenical councils,
1: uh, which we could. first off, I just need to say, when you send me a text, Mm -hmm. was it yesterday? No, it was two days ago. Two days days ago, ago. and you say, hey, you want to touch on the Trinity? Mm -hmm. And then you come and read an encyclopedia? (laughs) Maybe inform me of what "touch on" means, touch on so means, that well, there I, can be an engagement of what's happening here.
0: I was gonna touch on it, and then I started doing this, and it just took me down this deep role of what it was, and to me, I found it interesting and almost a necessity because uh, it's like uh, what I'll get to is the last quote from Augustine. Uh, Augustine, uh, okay, so he wrote in Book Eight. Uh, The Father is the lover, the Son is the beloved, and the Holy Spirit is mutual love they share. That's how he thought of the Trinity. And then you get into Book 9, he saw the Father as being the presence, the Son, the conscience, and self-knowledge, and the Holy Spirit as self-love. And uh, Augustine then readily admitted that humanity must ultimately regard any exploitation of the Trinity as being handicapped by insufficient language, and when necessary, be content to rest on what has been revealed of the divine mystery. So that, that's really, when you were talking at the beginning, that reminded me of that, is that all of this stuff that I could give you guys, there's the uh, Basil and the Gregory boys and what they had to say there, but really what it boils down to is that I think for m- most Christians, this is one of the things that we have hard stances on, yet we don't fully understand. And I think that understanding the three Godheads uh, and the Trinity really does take almost a lifetime of trying to figure out what is what is the role of the Holy Spirit in my life? What, uh, what has Jesus done in my life and who God is in my life? All those three questions are questions that I think we constantly have to ask ourselves daily. Uh, and I don't fully think that I will ever understand what the—even with doing all this, I fully
1: don't understand the concept of the Trinity in my brain. So— But like you're saying, it's something that we take a hard stance on. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't like agree with it or bring it into our way of understanding who God is and what's going on. But when we take hard stances in ways that will cause alienation and hate Mm -hmm. and ignorance and any of these things to proliferate, it's like, I don't know what I'm talking about but I'm going to hate you and call you an idiot because you don't believe it. (laughs) It's like, that's missing the mark somewhere. But to look at how important this whole concept is in Christianity. So go back to a lot of people are familiar with the Council of Nicaea. Happened in 325. Mm -hmm. Council of Nicaea, there's all kinds of stuff got addressed there. The primary one was confronting Arianism, Mm -hmm. which was deemed a heresy there. Now, Arianism basically was saying, Look, God is immutable. God is unique in what that is. Jesus coming, the son of God who comes, is not self-existent, therefore is not immutable, therefore had to have been created. Basically saying that Jesus, the son of God, was created, not trying to like put him down low or whatever, but just trying to understand, okay, well, we know that God is God, you're trying to say Jesus and trying to understand that thing. Again, I'm grossly oversimplifying, but... Arianism was deemed a heresy at the Council of Nicaea, and the church agreed on this thing that no, that's wrong. Jesus is, um, what's that word? Homoousius of like substance with the Father. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that first came from Origin, but coming and saying no, 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 they're they are of the same. And there was a creed, the Nicene Creed that came, that was at 325. So you see that this is in 325, it's a few hundred years in, but again, all of these heresy things, and again, people are getting excommunicated and all kinds of things happening because of this understanding of Trinity. Now, what a lot of people don't understand or don't even know about is that there was a thing called the Great Schism that happened. Because up until like that point, it's like, yeah, there's a bunch of different churches, but generally they were called the Catholic Church, Catholic just meaning universal. But then later on, what happened between the East and the West is that referring to, they called it the Filioque Clause. Let me pull it up here. The clause was originally, and in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life who proceeds from the Father. Right? Original. And then the change that came into it was, they said, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. Doesn't seem like a big deal to probably anybody listening. But this thing of trying to understand, well, wait, you're saying that the Holy Spirit, who's the Holy Spirit proceeding from? The Father? That's what we agreed. Now you're saying it's coming from the Father and the Son? Because then that changes the whole dynamic Mm -hmm. of what this thing looks like. And the Great Schism is where the church really split, and that's where you ended up with Eastern Orthodoxy and the Catholic Church. And then you look at things progress from there, and then later on you end up with like, Protestantism splitting from the Catholic Church. So when you look at what's kind of the root of a lot of the things that formed Christianity as we know it, way back in history, they were coming at the Council of Nicaea to say, "Hey, this thing of Jesus being created, and not being equal and one with the Father, we got to squash that. The, the Trinity, let's kind of come on that." And then the thing that caused the schism was like, "Whoa, you're screwing with where the Holy Spirit comes from and stuff. We got to split over that." And again, how careful they were in their understanding of things. And today, I just feel like so many people don't understand it, don't seek to understand it, but boast themselves up on understanding mm-hmm. it. Again, hop on Facebook or any online thing. There's some smart people, but you'll also have people like, Unitarians are going to hell. Yeah. God hates Unitarians. Bro, you know even less than they do. And we're we're telling people that they're going to hell for their belief. And so that's where like touching on the thing of the Trinity, like you were saying, is like, it's obviously very important in understanding God. I don't mean to downplay it when I say it's okay to not understand it and still be a full-blown Christian who mm-hmm. honors God and will be welcomed into God's presence. I think that's
0: the fear, though, right? If you've been a Christian long enough, like if, if you've been a Christian like a year, you're like, I don't understand this. Oh, that's fine. You're, that's okay. But if you've been a Christian for like 10, 15, 20 years, and you're like, I still don't understand the Trinity. I'm like, that's okay. But there's a fear that if you said that, people would be like, what? How could you not? In reality, it's like, where is the
1: Trinity ever really being taught? Well, what happens, because I'm a pastor, mm-hmm. and I'll bring it up, and I'll have people tell me, well, it's like an egg. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like water. There's three... And that's where I'm just like, yeah, exactly. And
0: this is why, uh, why bring up the Trinity from Titus. Well, Titus is a book about sound doctrine, and the only way you're really going to have sound doctrine is by getting yourself immersed in God's Word. And for us today, uh, what I just pulled up and everything I read, I didn't go to a Bible college. No one taught this to me. There are resources out there that you could actually study in depth. You could look at the early church fathers and see what they said about it, and you could get a better understanding. Will you comprehend what the Trinity is at the end of the day? I, I still struggle with it, and I'll say, like, well, you know what? I know there's God. There's the Spirit. and there's Jesus. I'm good. All of them are in my life and I'm submitting to the three of them in some way and fashion. From there, I'll continue the journey to get to know what they are working in my life. And uh, I, I just feel like, again, approaching it and how I wanted to do this and, and talking about it. And I knew when I text you, uh, I didn't know that I would come in with all this. I just knew what you would come in with. And I wanted that because I wanted it to be okay for people to understand that like. It's a setup, eh? I to you. I'm a thumper. <laughs> yeah, I came with thumper. <laughs> I, I wanted us to, to be able to exp- have the conversation of really what this is without people being like, the Trinity is uh, Jesus, God, Father, Spirit, all one together. And just blindly saying something that someone, someone else told them. The Trinity is an egg. And, and but to look at it deeper, that there were working... But again,
1: if, to begin to understand, if you're in elementary school, mm-hmm. like if you're a second grader and someone's trying to explain and they tell you about an egg, I'm fine with that. It's a hard concept, and if there's something to get you on the road, but if you've just left it at that for 40 years and you're putting down other people because they don't believe in your egg trinity... <laughs> that's, where my, that's where my struggle comes. Yeah. And and it's just really going into like understanding that
0: there was a Jesus in the Old Testament and there was a spirit in the Old Testament, that these things aren't new just to the New Testament. Right. Um, all of that creates an, a deeper understanding of our word, of our Bible. It creates a sounder doctrine in your life um, because then you are actually putting yourself on the pages of what they knew, the people who are writing
1: it, or how they understood it and viewed it. Now, I don't really have much else to do this unless you want to engage me further. I'm going to say this and let you say whatever you want. But the other aspect to me with the Trinity in actually studying it, and when we look at the Father, we look at the Son, we look at the Holy Spirit, is that I found that the way that I was brought up in Christianity and the things that I learned through osmosis of hearing people and seeing things and whatever, is that because we say oh well they are all god then they lose the fact that they are not each other mm-hmm. think about anybody praying are you praying to the father or are you praying to jesus and what does the holy spirit do and when you're going through your life is it jesus that's helping you and showing up is it the holy spirit that's doing it or did the father where like you know what i mean The scriptures are actually very distinct and purposeful in when they say Father, Mm -hmm. in when they say Son, or Christ, or Jesus. Very distinct in when they say the Holy Spirit. That for as much as we say, well, they're all God, we need to also understand, but they're not each other. Yes. And when we're looking at living our life in a growth thing, do I think that God works with us wherever we're at and whatever level of understanding? Yes. Do I think that by us gaining a deeper understanding and being able to lean into that, in the confidence that comes from that and the ability that comes from that to be able to know like, okay, no, here's, I'm coming before God and this is who he is and here's how he's revealed himself to me so that Mm -hmm. I can come to him in these ways and I'm understanding more of that. That's good because like, for as much as, well, they're all God, so like the word Father and Jesus and Holy Spirit are just interchangeable. That's creating a heresy. (laughs) again one of these big deals that the church has been very much against so for as much as like if we want to push so hard for them to all be god in the trinity we also need to push for them to all be not each other in the trinity yeah and i'm fine with that but again it's just like it's a complicated thing i definitely think that if you're out there cussing and stealing and getting drunk maybe work on those things first do you know what I like? Yeah. You know, there, there is some priority to it. But as you grow in the thing, it's digs deeper. It's good. It's why the, the egg illustration is somewhat unhelpful
0: because when you see an egg, you just see one. And that's all you see is one egg. Yes, there's the shell, there's the yolk, and then there's the white, right? That makes it three distinct different things, substances. But you're just seeing the outer shell. Um, it's almost like we Russian doll the Trinity. Like it's, here's the one thing. Yeah. And we open Any up analogy one.
1: is going to break because right.
0: then you're like, whoa, they're all inside of the father. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. What, well, what I really wanted to get to, and I think you touched it really well. So I'll say this and then we'll wrap up is that uh, understanding that they are, they are the same, but three different things. And when you understand that they are working together and three distinct entities of each other, then at least for me, that's helped me understand way more than uh, somewhat the egg thing. I think the egg thing confused me, and it did lead to like, well, yeah, which one is operating in my life right now? Which one am I leaning on? Which one am I working on? But the Bible is distinctive on each three of them and what, what they do in our lives
1: and how how they form this relationship I have with God For a take that i'm pretty sure will be unique to most people and i'm not saying that you need to go with this take but it's just something to take this trinity conversation into a more studied form specifically dealing with the early church because again early church were having all these councils and stuff about it they wrote a lot about it they were you know closer to the thing that happened hop on youtube maybe we can link it in the show notes but hop on youtube there is an account called scroll publishing and they have a thing it might be like a couple hours long but it talks about the Trinity in the early church. And it doesn't actually touch on the Holy Spirit, but it sets up a really good understanding for how they understood the Father and the Son to be mm-hmm. of the same, but also what the distinctions look like. And it uses a lot of stuff that, if nothing else, will be informative to anybody listening. Of like, oh, okay, here's some concepts that take it a little bit beyond the egg and how some people talked about in the past. And it at least will give... Um, threads to pull on yeah yeah All Right. so i'm chris i'm you the we
0: are your church friends thanks for listening abaca nahum obadiah jude philemon haggai amen